Flightcast, a place where opinions aren't right or wrong, and where we can agree or disagree about movies, TV, and other assorted media, because it's all subjective. My name is Ray. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope that wherever you are in the world, you are staying safe and staying at a reasonable core body temperature. For those of you living in the United States, I hope that you're staying cool, because I'm not. Not at all. It's disgusting outside. It is ridiculous heat. There's no reason for anybody to wake up at 11 in the morning and have it be 90 degrees already. That is insane. It's a gorgeous day. It's lovely. The sun is shining. The blue skies are out. And there's no reason. There's no earthly logical, like, like logistical justification for going outside. Don't, don't go outside. Not if you are dealing with 90s already at this point in time. What is it? This is like, it's like close to 2 p.m. on this Wednesday afternoon. And yeah, don't deal with it. Leave it alone. I got into my car to run like an errand earlier today and like I left my sunglasses in the car and they're plastic sunglasses. They're not metal sunglasses. They're like, you know, plastic sunglasses from California. And they were like searing my face when I was sitting in my car putting them on. So, yeah, it, it, don't deal with this heat. Please just, just stay hydrated, you know, like find the water source wherever it is. If it's not too expensive, you know, Zod knows that everything is just super expensive right now, whether it's gas or supplies or anything. And funny enough, uh, one of you sent uh, some feedback about that, that we're going to get to for a second here in the hexagon. But yeah, just, just stay cool, stay loose, stay safe, you know, all that good stuff. Just just be, the earth hates us right now. The earth literally is flipping us all off at some point in time right now. And we just need to grin and bear it and, and, and weather the ridiculousness of whatever is going on. But that's that's what's happening now. I'm in my, my office slash studio trying to stay cool uh, in, in recording this particular episode. I really only got one big topic to talk about, which is incredibly obvious based on the title of this episode. And then we're going to get into some hexagon stuff. So not a whole lot to cover. We'll see how long this episode ends up being, although the, some of the, the feedback today is is a little bit longer, but it, you know, I don't care about that. It's all, it's all good. You guys have your thoughts and you know, you certainly know I can ramble on for a good amount of time. So we'll get down to it. But of course, always want to remind everybody that this show and my blog posts can be found at theflightcast.com. And you know what? I, I need to be mentioning this more. The Flightcast is on Facebook. And I was, people were reminded of this yesterday because I, I did a post yesterday. I wrote a retrospective on Man of Steel because yesterday was the nine year anniversary of the release of Man of Steel. And of course, everybody on Twitter was all agog and excited about it. And I decided to write a piece on it. And it was the first blog piece that I had written probably in months. And I threw it up on, you know, all the normal channels, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. And the Facebook one, it, it blew up. Like, seriously, I, I think people are still like sharing it and commenting on it now. It like went way over a thousand likes, you know, which in my world is like blowing up. Like that's a massive, huge thing. So people remembered that the Facebook page existed or people, I guess, were clued into the existence of the flight cast on Facebook. So, yeah, totally. That That is there for those of you who still use Facebook. You can totally like and follow the flight cast there as well. Uh, I will post this show and all of my blog posts to that. And of course, 
You can get this show wherever podcasts can be found, whether it's Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, all that good stuff. There's also the Flightcast on YouTube, the YouTube channel, which is not defunct. It is still up there. I, this whole work schedule thing, trying to figure out exactly how to, to, to work that back into play and, and, and get back and doing YouTube videos. I need to see some movies. That's really what it is. I haven't done any flight review episodes lately because I haven't seen any movies. I have a backlog of movies to go see in the theaters, if you can believe that. Of course you can believe that, especially in my case, because I have the list, which is ever-growing. But at any rate, the Flightcast is still on YouTube. You can go and seek it out there. And of course, I also want to take a moment to thank all of the supporters on Patreon. Greatly appreciate your support. Hope that you're enjoying all of the Patreon shows, the, the, the Sun Just Don't Rants, the flight review shows for movies, the flight report show for comics, and the flight box show for TV. All of that is kind of undergoing like a, a transformation at the moment because I'm kind of changing my focus. You know, like for, for example, I'm, I'm behind on my TV shows lately, right? And I've been doing like the, you know, I had been doing like the weekly like spoiler filled episodes of that for like the Patreon, but I think I'm going to do some other conversations for flight box and for flight review. As far as Patreon is concerned, try and find some other angles because I feel like on the main show, like, you know, I might be having a few more spoiler discussions. And part of that is hexagon driven because I've been getting some feedback lately on some shows and movies that have included, you know, I've had to include some spoiler warnings, which is good because it's a conversation. And I would rather have a conversation that, you know, includes some spoilers and maybe I have to give a warning or two than not have the conversation at all. So don't feel like you can't send any feedback in just because it has spoilers. No, that that's that's not off limits. Not not, not at all. But all of that is evolving and changing. But there's content there. If you go to patreon.com slash the flightcast and sign up to be a flight officer, uh, that's the tier that will get you the bonus content. Or you can just be a flight crew member for general support. Uh, greatly appreciate those of you who are supporting the flightcast. And thank you to any of you who are interested in supporting it going forward. All right. So to get into today's big topic for this Wednesday episode, I have to tell the story of how I found this out. As all of you that have been listening for the last couple of weeks are aware, I'm back in the working world. Uh, my old TV station hired me back a couple of weeks ago, and believe it or not, I've been back nearly a month, and my schedule changed so that I'm working second shift, which quite honestly is the shift that I prefer to work because I'm not a morning person. I don't wake up early in the morning. Ask Shonda, she'll tell you I'm not an early bird whatsoever. But what happened was I was at work, uh, what was it, it was like last night, the night before, I think it was night before last, and, you know, we're in the middle, like at the time, like I was having to, you know, deal with a an ABC affiliate, one of our affiliates, is one of our affiliates we got in the last couple of years is an ABC affiliate, and they were broadcasting like game five of the NBA finals. And I had to deal with that. Right. So I was immersed in that for the evening because that was, you know, three and a half hours of broadcasting and like switching that and, and making certain that everything ran properly locally on our end for that. So I did not see this news until literally after that was all said and done. And this was like maybe 1130, 1145 at night. My coworker, one of my coworkers, Anne, who I've mentioned, I think I've mentioned, I don't know if I mentioned her here, but I've, I've definitely mentioned her before on DCTV Squadcast. She was the one that worked in Master Control that actually like helped me stay in the bubble for Crisis on Infinite Earths about three years ago before the pandemic started. Uh, she's 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 an ally. She's one of ours. Like she she's definitely part of the geek circle. And in the middle of everything going on that we were squaring away for the basketball game, she alerts me to the 
news about Lady Gaga and the Joker sequel. Uh, and I was like, it, and it's funny because we had just been talking about that earlier, you know, because that, that was where this news started, right? The whole thing with Todd Phillips posting the Instagram photo of the Joker sequel, Joker uh, Foley Adieu, right? That's the title. And I I feel like Google, like if we just look up like the, the, the Google searches for Foley Adieu, like everybody, including myself, has like just been massively searching that because we needed to know what it meant, right? And that's where this all started. Foley Adieu. Uh, which, according to the Wikipedia article, is also known as shared psychosis or shared delusional disorder, a psychiatric syndrome in which symptoms of a delusional belief and sometimes hallucinations are transmitted from one individual to another. So, of course, as soon as we all found out what that meant, one name, one person absolutely popped into our head. Harley Quinn, no question about it, right? And you know what was interesting though, Anne actually she had a, a decent point. Like before the, the the Lady Gaga story came out, she was actually suggesting that it could have been like Bruce Wayne. And it's funny because she hasn't seen Joker. She's not seen the Joker movie, but like because she's she's one of those that's like tired of Joker, like consistently popping up. Like she's ready to see other Batman villains, and and I I don't think she's even really that big in the idea of villains having solo movies. But at any rate. She was positing the idea that the, the the shared psychosis could have been Bruce Wayne, especially considering what the first Joker film suggested about the relationship between Arthur Fleck and Bruce Wayne. So I said, you know what, that's not a bad suggestion. But clearly, you know, as a result of this new news, they're not going they're going in the direction that we all pretty much figured they were going to go into when we saw what Foley Adu actually meant. And that was when she alerted me to this. And I think she found it from one of the regurgitators and she said she wasn't certain about the source, but she goes, THR, I don't know who THR is. And I'm like, oh, THR is Hollywood Reporter. And then she shows me the link. She shows me the actual story and I see the writer, Boris Kitt. Okay, that's you can take that to the bank. This this is happening. This is actually happening. This is real. I, I, I was like, this is a very real story. And I have that very real story right in front of me right now on the screen. This was posted Monday at like 5.02 p.m. Eastern time. And like I said, I didn't see it until hours later when she showed it to me at work. And I, I will quote this story exactly. It's not a long story for anybody who hasn't read it necessarily. But Boris Kitt, listen, you, there, there are very few insiders that were like, I mean, there, there are certain insiders for the trades where it's like, okay, when this person says something, then you can take it to the bank. Something is happening. There is a discussion. And it, Boris Kitt is probably like the number one name on that list when it comes to anything, any news that is happening. He is not Scooper Madness. He is not Fly By Net. And there are times when he offers editorial, but he is not nearly as bad as those morons at Variety who think that Henry Cavill is too old to play Superman at age 39. And he's not as bad as the people at Deadline, who a lot of times have editorialized a lot of their schlock as well. But his story says the Joker is back and this time he's bringing a friend. Lady Gaga is in early talks to star opposite Joaquin Phoenix in director Todd Phillips' sequel to Joker, the Oscar-winning $1 billion grossing 2019 Warner Brothers hit based on the DC villain. Phillips has been writing the script with Joker co-writer Scott Silver for some time and has finally shown it to the studio. Last week, Phillips revealed on social media the title of the new project I mentioned earlier, Joker Folia Do, referencing a medical term for an identical or similar mental disorder that affects two or more individuals, usually members of the same family. That's where the Bruce Wayne thing 
could have worked out, but no, they're clearly going in a different direction. And while the same social media post showed Phoenix reading the script, it says, the actor's involvement is not exactly a fait accompli just yet. Sources tell The Hollywood Reporter that Warners has yet to close the deal with the actor with the two sides deep into it. Enter Gaga, it says. Details on her character are being kept under wraps, but Joker is known for his on-off abusive relationship with Harley Quinn, his psychiatrist at the Arkham Asylum mental institution who falls in love with him and becomes his sidekick and partner in crime. It is unclear whether Phillips and company are using other DC characters or striking out on their own, as they did in many instances with the first movie. If a deal makes... Gaga would play Quinn. However, this new Quinn exists in a different DC universe than Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn, who most recently appeared in 2021's The Suicide Squad, as well as several other films. But wait, that's not all. And here's where it, here's the twist. Here's where it really gets fun. It says, sources say this sequel is also a musical. When Warners first made Joker, it was far from a sure thing, a dark and moody character piece. The project was a taxi driver meets king of comedy descent into madness set in a late 1970s decaying city. Commercial prospects were deemed nominal and it was only budgeted at 60 million. By the time it was released in October 2019, Joker was riding a wave of adulation from the fall film festivals, which helped propel the movie into a record-breaking opening weekend, with box office analysts changing their prediction every day. It ended its theatrical run as the number four highest-grossing R-rated movie of all time. It then earned 11 Oscar nominations, including Best Picture and one Best Actor for Joaquin Phoenix and Best Score for Hilder Gunadatar. Oh, her, her score was absolutely immaculate. Just a fantastic score for that film. So there you have it. Uh, and it also mentions the, the, the last sentence here in Boris Kitt's story. Phillips previously produced A Star is Born, the 2018 remake that starred Joker producer Bradley Cooper and Gaga. Yes, Bradley Cooper was, in fact, a producer on Joker. OK, so all of this, I mean, you know, I, I, all of this comes out like we see all of this Monday night. And I said, oh, well, that's I told Anne. I said, well, that's clearly why my like mentions blew up on Twitter. And I, I hadn't been on Twitter all evening. Like I when I'm at work, I don't really have time to like get on Twitter, which is a good thing. It's really helped my sanity, to be honest with you, not having to deal with Twitter on, on nearly the same regular basis as I have been in the past. But Obviously, like I, as soon as I got home, I saw all of the reactions to it, and I will say that initially, the, the I was tagged in a, a group tweet with a number of others, including Scott from uh, Squadcast Media, my podcast brother over there, and the people in my circles, at least in my immediate like circles in in this area liked it or like or, or dig the idea or open to the idea of not only Gaga being in the film, but also it being a musical like that. That is a very intriguing prospect to them. And then the next day I started to see people, you know, just Twitter was filled with, you know, half. I hate musicals. I will be skipping this. Why are they doing Harley Quinn again? Why do we have another version of Harley Quinn? Joker doesn't even need a sequel. All the standard Twitter caterwauling and bullshit. All right, here's the deal. My official thoughts on this. I have the business reason why this is a good idea, and I have the chaotic personal reason why this is a good idea, because there's a really juicy, deep-seated evil reason that I fully admit is wholly subjective, and it is schadenfreude of the highest regard that I really want to see this happen. You know, and, and let's be clear, whenever, especially when somebody like Boris Kitt writes in early talks, generally speaking, it's going to happen. 
generally speaking, it's going to, the, the signing on the dotted line just hasn't occurred yet. And they physically, like they contractually, like they have to say, they have to mention that Phoenix has not signed, has not signed a contract yet because he's negotiating for more money as he should. The first one made a billion dollars. Why wouldn't he negotiate for more money? And we've already gone over how Walter Hamada tried to torpedo this and how he cost Warner Brothers so much of the final product because of everything that he did in terms of like doubling down and and, and trying to cover his ass and cover all the bases with respect to the financial commitment to this film. And it probably is the sole reason that he should have already been fired as far as his bad business decisions. And it's it's the number one reason I would say business-wise why he will not even remotely be in charge of, of DC Studios when that is officially formed. We're still waiting for that news. In fact, I'm kind of refreshing Twitter here to see if that pops up because that will completely take over this episode if that happens. But at any rate, with respect to the business of the Joker film, yeah, Phoenix is negotiating for more money. That that's all it is. He he want he and his agent want to make certain that they get a fat enough contract for a sequel to a billion dollar film, right? The fourth highest grossing R rated film in history, right? Is that what it said? I believe that's what the article I read said earlier. But any yeah, the number four highest grossing R rated movie of all time. But at any rate, okay. The business reason why this makes all the sense in the world and why it's a great idea is. You know, think of the prospects in terms of the fandom for this, right? Lady Gaga is a name. Lady Gaga is a massive name, and not just in the United States, a worldwide name, right? And she started making more of her hay in, into acting in the last couple of years, you know, American Horror Story, Hotel, and A Star is Born, obviously, with uh, uh, Bradley Cooper, as was mentioned earlier in the article, and, and just recently House of Gucci, which I haven't seen, but, you know, that that's you know, whatever mixed reviews you get from that movie, she was a lead in, in that movie. So clearly, like, the acting chops are there, right? And, you know, that's, that's the thing. I look at it from a business standpoint and I go, well, no, clearly she ha- I've seen some of her like acting and I li- like, I'm like, I have, I'm not a huge American horror story fan and I haven't necessarily seen a star is born, but I've seen some bits and pieces of her performance, which, you know, it, it's one of those cases where like, when you look at somebody that's in another realm, like a musician and you're like, okay, are they really an actor? Can they really pull this off? Do they really have that kind of a range? I believe she does. I do. And I also think, you know, based on what I've seen of her in interviews and also with the, the other side of her music that I like more than the pop side. Me personally, if we're, we're talking a little bit of music geekery here, I like the Tony Bennett stuff that she does. And I like the, the fact that she's like a classically trained pianist. She's a very talented individual. And I've noticed in interviews, like I remember when she won the Golden Globe a number of years ago and she was very emotional about winning a Golden Globe. She seems to be somebody that gives 110% into her projects. So I don't think she's somebody that I would, that anybody should be remotely worried about giving the right amount of energy for this role. I think what it, it, if this ends up happening, which, like I said, usually when it's in early talks, it's probably going to happen. Once this is signed on the dotted line and she is committed to this film, I think she's going to give 110%. I see no reason why she wouldn't, truthfully. And clearly it's something that she is interested in if these conversations are even happening. Because who really thought of that idea? Did a Warner Brothers executive really think of the idea of Lady Gaga being Harley Quinn in a, in a, a multiverse Joker film? Or is that something that Phillips came up with, especially since he's had prior dealings with her, right, as an executive producer? Is that something that, you know, the creatives like he and Scott Silver thought of? I think that this is a choice that it might be a mutual understanding and agreement. And of course, you know, we'll get the interviews and we'll hear from her, you know, after she signs 
on the dotted line should this all pan out. And again, I have to, it's more than likely going to happen, but like, you know, you, you have to like, you know, speak with those like caveats in the beginning until she has signed a contract. But this now gives the general audience a reason to watch a Joker sequel, you know, more than just the first one made a billion dollars and more than just, you know, you, you really enjoyed the first one. This now gives the general audience like another reason to go, oh, you know, I, I love her music. Let me go see this, especially if it's a musical. And that's the other business part of this. It's really ingenious. You're making a musical, a Joker musical with Lady Gaga involved. Do you understand the marketing opportunities Right. It's not just in terms of the film itself and the direction that they're going to take, but she'll release an album. She will. She will do all. She'll do all the music. She'll do a soundtrack. Right. It'll be like her and Hilda Gunadotter. It'd be like a pair up, essentially. And, you know, it, it, again, this is where her being a classically trained pianist. This is where, like, the, the, the other stuff, the, the, the other part of her talent that the general audience largely is not aware of you know like i said all the tony bennett stuff all the classical classically trained stuff that she has in her wheelhouse this is where it's going to come into play which is probably another reason why she might even gravitate toward this because they can totally build this as a very unique musical sequel and you know all the the other opportunities with respect to albums you know this could be something that could get grammy attention and you know like like go platinum like how However, like however many copies of it it sells, you know, digitally or otherwise, like there, this opens the the floodgates really for like a more massive opportunity than if you were just doing a sequel to the first Joker film because it made a billion dollars. Like there are creative opportunities here, you know, in, in terms of making it a musical, especially you know, it, 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 with her being Harley Quinn, if she is, you know, if, again caveats and all that right now, but if she is in fact Harley Quinn, and if it's a musical romp if you will, a musical story about her and Arthur Fleck, like going through the madness, the folie I do, if you will, like the possibilities of that, especially with what's been established with Arthur Fleck's character in the first film in terms of his mental degradation in the first place. Oh, the possibilities are endless. They, they and Phillips could take this in such a direction that I would really be intrigued to see as a multiversal film. And, you know, really, at the end of the day, there's only one thing that concerns me at all from a business aspect. And the only thing that concerns me is a thing that I think fans are already assuming is going to be the case. But I am unwilling to assume until, you know, proven otherwise that this is going to be the case. And the concern is, is that this would overshadow Margot Robbie's future as the character. And, you know, for people that are already making that assumption now, I feel like in a lot of cases, I, I can just say what I've said before, which is clearly you guys don't know how a multiverse works or you don't care how a multiverse works and you just want something to bitch and complain about. But the, the reality of the situation is that whatever version of Harley Quinn, Lady Gaga will play in this film, it is not going to be comic accurate. It can't be. The world that they have set up with Arthur Fleck's Joker is not the same as the Joker in any other incarnation that we've necessarily seen on screen, right? It's not like Jack's Joker. It's not like Heath's Joker. It's not like Jared Leto's Joker. It's not like Barry Keon's Joker. That's, you know, in the Reeves verse. There's nothing about Ace Chemicals. There's nothing about Acid Baths. It's a complete psychological story and and a different character, different setting, different tone. And so even though there are familiar things in there, right? Like they, they did put the death of the Waynes in there. They did put Bruce Wayne in there. It's in Gotham, but it's still such a separate tale. 
and there's not going to be any connection to anything else, right? Like the way that they have established the DCEU even now, and for all the people that are like, the DCEU needs to be rebooted. We'll talk about that in the feedback as well later on. But for all of those people who don't like the current direction of the DCEU and for people who are, you know, anyone who is a fan of the Reeves verse, like there's nothing involved in that first Joker movie that you can neatly connect to either of those universes. It doesn't fit not only because it's a period piece that happens in the seventies, but because it's so wildly different. And by the way, you have Jokers already established in those other universes. You're not going to merge Joaquin Phoenix's Arthur Fleck with Jared Leto's Joker or with Barry Keehan's Joker in either of the other universes. So knowing that, knowing that you have a completely different rule set for how this Gotham and how this version of the Joker is working in this Gotham, you have to change the rules for Harley Quinn. She's not going to be. Lady Gaga can't play this the same way that Margot Robbie is playing it in the DCEU. And I think that as long as the studio, as long as Warner Brothers, Discovery, and David Zaslav, and whoever the new DC chief is, as long as they understand that, then they can absolutely continue down a path where you will have two live-action Harley Quinns. And we can go through the rigmarole of who's better or whatnot. Listen, you know I love Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. She's been fantastic. I've enjoyed all three of her performances in the role, whether it was Studio Squad, you know, what we saw of it, and what I can't wait to see the rest of it in the air cut. It's Again, it's not a question of if, but when that gets released. I loved her in Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. It was her movie, without question. And I loved her in The Suicide Squad. Like, she was fantastic under James Gunn direction in that film and I would like to see more of that I would like to see you know I've said it before I really do believe that Margot Robbie can treat Harley Quinn like Hugh Jackman did with Wolverine and play it for 17 years I absolutely believe that in the DC extended universe there most certainly is a future for her there she's an executive producer and all that there's no reason to sideline her especially when you consider that this particular I mean I know they're making a sequel to this Joker film. So people are probably already thinking franchise and how far can they take this, right? And then, of course, there are the other people, the contrarians are like, this is a horrible idea. They should never be making a sequel to this in the first place. But you can absolutely have both versions of these characters exist. You'll have people that are Gaga fans of the character. You'll have people that are Robbie fans of the character. And then you'll have people like me who are going to enjoy both for what they are. Because I don't see a reason why I wouldn't enjoy Lady Gaga in the role. I don't. Based on everything that I said before, based on the little bit that I've seen of her acting abilities and the dedication and you know emotion that I think she would bring to it, the fact that she has a prior connection to Todd Phillips as an executive producer... And And, you know, I I applauded and and really, like, enjoyed his direction in the first film. You know, now the idea of him tackling a musical, a musical that she's going to be involved in heavily, for sure. I mean, the possibilities there are endless with respect to what they could do musically for this, you know, with her being involved. No, I am very intrigued by this, and I think it makes all the business sense in the world for them to do this, bring on a world where we have two live-action Harley Quinns that, again, will be very different because of the nature of how they've set this up. 
Gaga has to play this differently than than Robbie does, and I'm I'm fine with that. I'm perfectly okay with that, right? No ace chemicals. No, this is going to be more psychological. It's going to be far more psychological. She is going to be just as messed up, if not more messed up, than Arthur Fleck is, and it's going to be a complete retelling of the whole Mad Love story, which I've never read. I've, I've never partake. I've never partook in that yet. It's on the list. I'll get to it. But you know, I've watched the origins of Harley Quinn when I was a kid. Like I, the, 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 her character originated in Batman the Animated Series. That was where, you know, and I watched that when it first aired. I watched that live, if you will. So I am familiar with their relationship and we're going to see a whole new twist on it for sure. So I'm excited for it. I'm in favor of it, you know, which is interesting. I've really come full circle in the last four or five years on this whole idea of even doing a separate Joker movie, you know, and and the, the people there are going to be people that are always going to be tribalistic and say, well, they should just continue on with Phoenix as the Joker and forget Leto because Leto's garbage. Yeah, there's always going to be those idiots, those morons that I disagree with, and they can be however they feel about it, right? And I can choose to you know feel however I want to feel about either of them. It's all subjective. But the fact of the matter is Leto's Joker still exists, that world still exists, and there's still a, a capacity and a propensity for that to expand based on the other source material, the, the other subject matter, rather, that he is connected to and that Margot Robbie is connected to as well. So they can continue to pursue that in the shared cinematic universe realm, you know, with whatever their future plans are for the DCEU, which we don't know what they are. Don't don't buy into what everyone may or may not be telling you on Twitter. They don't know what the future of the DCEU is. They don't. I don't care whatever sources you did, any of these Twitter accounts, you know, the, these people that claim to know and claim to be, be right in Zaslav's head. They've been claiming that for years and they've been wrong multiple times. Stop listening to Scooper Madness or faux Scooper Madness because there's faux Scooper Madness out there. And you know what? It's even gotten to the point where people have mistaken me for being a scooper that happened a couple of days ago. Someone mistook me as a scooper said I was one of the most respected scoopers. And I had to, I had to shut that down immediately. I am not a scooper, nor do I ever wish to be a scooper. Scoopers are toxic. Scoopers are the bane of our existence. Scoopers destroy the discourse among fandoms. They are not a good thing because at best they're spoiling details of a movie or a project for you. They're not good. So don't believe everything that they say and and don't believe everything that the wannabe scoopers say as well with respect to the future of the DCEU. But there's absolutely room for multiple interpretations of these characters. And I hope that, you know, Warner Brothers Discovery fully and, and DC Studios, when that finally is formed, and that's that's what I'm really waiting for, when that finally comes to pass, when that finally, you know, reaches fruition, like there's room for them to realize that and experience that. But here, before we get into for here the tail end of this, before we get into hexagon stuff here, I wanted to bring up my chaotic reason for why I'm rooting for this. My chaotic evil reason why I want Lady Gaga to play Harley Quinn in this Joker sequel. It's because I know that the fan base for her is absolutely like it is a fervent fan base. It is an energetic fan base. It is a devoted and dedicated fan base. And what I look forward to is for one of the toxics, one of the people who hates this idea, one of the people who just goes on the people that are that are upset right now, the ones that just are like, I can't believe this. This is a horrible mistake. This is terrible. Lady Gaga, this and that. She's a horrific choice to play Harley Quinn. There's no way 
if she can hold a candle to Tara Strong or Arlene Sorkin. I want to see those toxic people get lit up and destroyed by Lady Gaga's fan base. I do. I look forward to that. I will be there front and center with popcorn like Michael Jackson in Thriller. I will. I will enjoy the hell out of that because it's going to happen. It's going to happen. You know what the toxics are going to do. You know what they're going to say. And they're they're going to start trying to pit Margot Robbie against Lady Gaga and the the, the Gaga fans are going to rise and they are going to descend and they are going to shred whoever throws anything negative at her portrayal of the character in the movie. And, And you know me, I don't I'm not a fan of negativity. So even if I were somebody that had criticisms, like say I watch Joker Foley, I do and Lady Gaga's in it and she gives her take on Harley Quinn and say, I don't necessarily care for it. I'm not going to trash her. I'm not I'm not going to look at it and go, well, I this was horrible and this was hot garbage and trash juice and all that. No, I I have called things trash juice before, but not performances. I try not to do that with people's performances because somebody is putting their energy, their, their their life and soul into whatever it is they're doing, however it is written, however it is filmed, however it is acted. I try not to do that with people's performances. And if I ever have a moment of weakness where I do, well, I, and that is something that I would legitimately apologize for because I'm not trying to trash anybody's attempt at art, right? I can say that I don't like a thing without being nasty and disgusting about it. That's why you know, I, I always say that for years. I've said that for years to people who are like, well, you know, you, 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 you don't like this. You don't like that. Like, how can you have a negative opinion? How can you dislike anything? Well, it's very simple. I dislike a number of things. I just don't have to be a, a jerk about it. I don't have to be a complete jack wagon and, and just abs- and insulting about it. Like, that's not necessary for me. So when that happens, when the toxics decide to do that, because they will. We can mark our. We can mark the calendar. We, we whenever that movie comes out and the build up, right? As soon as we start, as soon as we see trailers, TV spots, or whatever for it, the second we see Lady Gaga and whatever her interpretation of Harley Quinn is, the Toxics will go after it and they will try to drag it and they will get destroyed on social media by the Lady Gaga fans. I can't wait. I can't wait because they will get put in their place and they will experience a lot of the horrific behavior on social media that they inflict upon others, you know, myself included, because they've certainly come after me a number of times and they've tried to in the last number of years. And I've, I've had them muted, you know, before I had them blocked. Now I have them muted and I do my best to try and ignore their bullshit. But yeah, I, that's my chaotic evil reason that I would like to see Lady Gaga play this role because I want to see the toxics get absolutely annihilated on social media when the Gaga fans defend her performance in that film. So that is my my selfish reason, my, my schadenfreude-like reason with respect to why I would want it to happen, aside from all the other creative stuff that I was talking about before. So there you have it. Those are my thoughts on the big topic so far for this Wednesday episode. So without further ado, let's dive headfirst into the hexagon. We got some good feedback from you guys today. As 
per usual, it is largely email. Uh, in fact, we've got a an email or two from some listeners that haven't chimed in in a while, but are, are, are giving us some updates on some things, which is great. Uh, but there, there is a, a aside from Edward of many fandoms, who of course has his feedback thread with just about every episode. There, there is a little bit of Twitter feedback that we'll get to afterwards. But of course, we will start with the emails, and we will begin with our good buddy ZRJ Row, who has a very interesting two questions here. Uh, his first is an imaginary scenario. He says, all right, Ray, I have an imaginary scenario for you. You get hired by WB Discovery to direct a Superman movie. You pick any actor you want, most likely Cavill along with every DCU actor in his world. What's the story you go with? Who's the villain? Would it be more than one villain? Well, in my perfect world, in my scenario, ZRJ Rowe edited, I guess I wouldn't call it perfect world, but I, I would say the, the scenario that I would want to play out for a Warner Brothers Discovery Superman movie, Henry Cavill, of course, as Superman, yes, he, he would be my pick. I would also, the, the, the caveat of that is I, I, I need Amy Adams back as Lois Lane, without question. We're not recasting that. We need Amy Adams back. We got to make that work. And, and... I want to bring Lawrence Fishburne back as Perry White. I want those three like that. That's my like triumvirate for a Superman sequel, a DCEU Superman sequel. Yes. And and like you said, Cavill along with every other DCEU actor in his role. But those are like my three non-negotiables. You know, like I, I mentioned years ago, like my non-negotiable for James Gunn's The Suicide Squad was Viola Davis back as Amanda Waller. Don't recast that role. Don't give it to anybody else. It must be Viola Davis. He obliged and that worked. And it succeeded. It was, and, and, and even expanded into Peacemaker. So that's, that's fantastic. You hang on to Viola Davis. She is an asset as Amanda Waller in the DCEU. You hang on to that. I feel the exact same way, of course, about Cavill as Superman, but also about Amy Adams as Lois Lane and Lawrence Fishburne as Perry White. I want all of them back. And, and you know, bring back the dude who played, who played, played Lombard, you know, do the, and, and maybe it, listen. If we want to bring in another Jimmy Olsen, a different Jimmy Olsen, we can do that. Or we can just make Jenny, Jenny Olsen and go that, go that far. You know, I'd bring Jenny back too, for sure. But anyway, as far as the story that I go with, I don't have a particular story from the comics because, you know, I, as I've said, I, I don't know if I've said it on this show, but yeah, I haven't read a whole lot of Superman comics. ZRJ Rowe, you know, I, I've read some stuff that he's been in. But if we're talking Superman runs, I really only read Death of Superman and Hunter Prey, which and I've, I've read, you know, I've also read uh, Action Comics Rebirth and, and also a little bit of Tomasi and Gleason's run on, on Superman Rebirth as well. But the, the Superman writer that I've read the most of by far is Dan Jurgens, right? And I, I've, I've talked about that before, you know, not on this show, but but certainly on, you know, at Squadcast Media. And I've also talked about, you know, we, we actually reviewed uh, World Without a Superman slash Funeral for a friend over at World's Finest True Believers uh, with our good buddy Chris Balga over at Geek Ultimate Alliance, uh, that, that podcast universe. So I don't have a whole lot of experience with like other Superman stories. I know Scott is still just gnashing his teeth because I haven't read any John Byrne yet. It's on the list. I will read John Byrne. I will. Don't worry about that. But as far as a villain, like I don't have a story, ZRJ Row, but the villain is very simple. I want Brainiac. 
I do. I want Brainiac. And a big part of that is because of Krypton. You know, I, I was a huge fan of the Krypton series, the two seasons that it got on sci-fi. It should have gotten more because, as I've said many times, it is one of the most egregious sins that has been committed in the history of canceling shows. They didn't leave us on one or two. They left us hanging off of three cliffs at the end of season two of Krypton. And I am still pissed off about that. I am still not happy. I am still very much disturbed by that. It is, it, it, it's irksome. It's worse than Swamp Thing for me. And Swamp Thing was bad, right? As far as like, we watch the pilot and the very next day they tell us there will be no more and we have to watch the entire rest of the season knowing that we're not going to get any more of it already after the first episode, which was horrific. That was a terrible decision. But... Krypton is worse because at least Swamp Thing didn't leave me hanging off three separate cliffs when it ended surreptitiously. But I love Krypton. It was a fantastic show. And Blake Ritson's version of Brainiac is right now like my favorite version, my favorite incarnation of the character in live action or otherwise. And I know people probably are saying, dude, dude watch the, the DCAU Brainiac. I've, I've gotten my taste of the DCAU Brainiac thanks to Superman, the animated series. But, you know, and, and there's probably more of it that I'm missing in the Justice League and the Justice League Unlimited shows, which I will get to that for sure. But yeah, Brainiac is my choice. Brainiac is absolutely my choice for a Superman villain, you know, in, in the next DCEU film that would be headlined by Henry Cavill. I don't know what the story would be. I'm sure somebody can, you know, if I if I tell you that I want Brainiac as my primary villain and, and you know, it, like you, you were asking, like, would it be more than one villain? You know, I would want Lex Luthor in the background, right? Like I'd want a case where like he's in the world and he's observing things, you know, maybe he's rooting Brainiac on or maybe it's a case where Brainiac is kind of like, you know, feeding off of him and, and maybe there's a bit of interaction there, but I want Brainiac to be the primary villain. I want him to be the force, like the elemental villain and Lex can be the personal villain. This was something that Christopher Nolan did structure wise. I thought extremely well in his trilogy was he had two, he would have a pair of villains in each of his films, each of his Batman films, but it would be a case of an elemental villain and a personal villain. And Batman begins, the elemental villain was Scarecrow, Killian Murphy. The personal villain was Ra's al Ghul played by Liam Neeson, you know, and, and Ken Watanabe. And as far as the decoy, right in the dark Knight. The personal villain, the, the elemental villain was the Joker. The personal villain ended up being Two-Face, right? Aaron Eckhart's Two-Face. You know, I, I thought that worked extremely well for that film. And even in The Dark Knight Rises, you have Bane as your elemental villain, and then you end up having Talia al Ghul as the personal villain. And so I think that they could do a similar deal here. And of course, it was it was meant to be done as a twist in The Dark Knight Rises, so it's a little different there. But I think you could do a similar thing here with the next Superman film where you have Brainiac as the elemental villain, the one who's like the driving force of what's going on, and then Lex is the personal villain, right? And it's like, well, why would you have Lex come back as a villain? Well, you know, I, I'm... I don't have I, I like Jesse Eisenberg's portrayal of the character. I thoroughly enjoyed it in, in Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, Ultimate Edition, and also, you know, the little bit that we got in Zack Snyder's Justice League. Like I like the way that he played the character, and I would like to see that continue on in some form, and I feel like it can be done. You know, you know what? You can even, even if we want to go classic, right? Go back to Superman 2 for, for all the, the, the Donner fans or the Donner slash Richard Lester fans, whichever version of that film that you enjoy more. Like you go back to Superman three and that was a case where, you know, 
Zod, Nan, and Ursa were your elemental villains that were, you know, coming at, you know, Kal-El like full full force and trying to take over the Earth. But Lex was there in the background as well, right? And that was a case where he took a backseat. He wasn't the driving force of the villainy in that film, but he was still involved. He still had a presence. So I could even use Superman 2 as an example of how you could structure this and how it could work. So that's what I would say. I would, I'd say Lex as the, the personal villain in the background, but the driving force, the main villain, Brainiac. Absolutely. Against Henry Cavill, Superman in particular, with Amy Adams as Lois Lane and Lawrence Fishburne back as Perry White. Those are my three non-negotiables. Bring back whatever, you know, outside character. Listen, you want to bring back Ferris. If you want to have Harry Lennox playing Swanwick and then maybe that's when, you know, Cal finds out that he's Martian Manhunter, that'd be great. Like you can do that too, right? There's a lot that you can do in that film. And maybe that's kind of the story, I guess. Those are some story elements that I can think of that you can totally put into the film. But yeah, that, that that's my thoughts for sure. Uh, so this rolls into your second question, ZRJ Row, which is after your Superman project, which is your next project, a Star Trek movie, a Star Wars TV show or Miles Morales live action Spider-Man movie? Oh, a Star Trek movie. Absolutely. In fact, in particular, a Kelvin timeline Star Trek movie. I would love that. Like, And I guess beyond that, you didn't suggest this as a, as a potential example, but like it basically, I mean, nothing against Star Wars or Miles Morales live action Spider-Man, but Star Trek is my franchise, ZRJ Rowe. So if I have just got done doing a Henry Cavill Superman project, I would go straight to Paramount and, you know, I, I would I would beg Alex Kurtzman to either let me do a Star Trek show on Paramount Plus or, you know, beg them to let me do a Star Trek movie with the Calvin Timeline crew because I love that crew. I really enjoy the dynamic and I would love to see more of their adventures aboard the enterprise a that we've only seen like, you know, a brief, the briefest flirtation with at the end of star Trek beyond. I would love to see that, you know, and whether the fourth movie, and I really want that fourth movie that they've been talking about the one that paramount announced last year. I really want that to happen. I really want that to come to fruition because I want to see that crew again. I want to enjoy the Kelvin timeline, star Trek adventures again. So I'm hoping that, at this point, you know, I'd be doing something further down the line. But, yeah, that would be my pick. Absolutely. Calvin Timeline Star Trek movie and or a Paramount Plus Star Trek TV series. So, yeah, those are my definitive answers on that one. Thank you, as always, for the feedback. ZRJ Row greatly appreciated. All right. Next up, it's time for our Star Trek watch update from our good friend Alex De Silva. He says, hey, Ray, I watched Dagger of the Mind a few days ago. And to be completely honest with you, I've already kind of forgotten a lot about it. I'm, I'm not surprised, Alex. <laughs> not at all. He says, I know this isn't the most exciting update, but honestly, all I remember is that there was an escaped prisoner who stowed away on the Enterprise. The premise is pretty interesting, but I don't know. I guess there was something lacking in the execution for me because I remember very little about this episode. Is this an episode that will be called back to in the future or is it just kind of one and done never mentioned again it, it's a one and done never mentioned again alex you don't have to worry about this one at, at all whatsoever in fact i'm far more excited to to, about, to hear your thoughts about the very next one that you're going to watch because you said the next episode on the list is called the corbamite maneuver now this one i'm looking forward to as i've heard it's a classic yes it is alex it is very much a classic episode for a number of reasons not the least of which so I'll, I'll let you in on this, Alex. Like I, I mentioned, we talked before about how these episodes are arranged in terms of the watch order on Paramount Plus, and you're fine. Don't change your watch order at all. But this is another case where an episode that was produced 
sooner than episodes you've already watched is now being shown to you. The Corbin Might Maneuver was technically like, I think, the third episode produced. This this episode that you're about to watch was actually made before The Man Trap, right? The Man Trap was like the fifth one produced. But again, it's an episodic show, so there's nothing here. Like, But you, you might notice in terms of like the camera angles and some of the stuff that they do, you might notice that it's a little different in terms of how they frame this at this particular episode when you watch it. But the other thing is this particular episode is the, it's production wise. It is the first time that DeForest Kelly played the character of Dr. Leonard McCoy, right? That the the Corbomite maneuver production wise was his first episode in the character. So like, that's why you might see a little of the dynamic with him and Kirk it might be a little different man trap. They had already kind of established a bit of a rapport between DeForest Kelly and William Shatner. This is the first time they've acted together. And this is also the first time that you really see kind of like the, the, the trio, if you will, between Kirk, Spock and McCoy, and McCoy right? And in its earnest, if you will, right? Like it's still raw. But and again, that don't switch up your order, Alex. You're, you're perfectly fine as far as your watch order. You can continue on as Paramount Plus has because the order that they are giving you, as I mentioned before, this is the order in which they like showed these episodes, like in which they aired these episodes originally. So, yeah, you you, you can continue on with that. But no, just Corbin, my maneuver is very much a classic. I, I very much look forward to hearing your thoughts on that. And yes, it is far more memorable. And I, I predict you will enjoy it a great deal more than Dagger of the Mind. Dagger of the Mind is really like kind of a throw a throwaway episode. You'll see an actor from it again. In fact, that actor who was the stowaway prisoner aboard the Enterprise, you'll see him again. But the next time that you see him, the episode he's in and the character he's playing far more like, you know, memorable when you see him, when you get to that point. And you you may or may not remember him like when you see him. Uh, we'll, we'll see if you do when you get to that point. If not, I'll probably bring it up <laughs> more than likely. But uh, good. No, awesome. Corbin Might Maneuver is a great one. Can't wait to hear about hear your thoughts on that one. So continuing on, uh, Alex, uh, going outside of Star Trek, of course, you say, have you been watching the new Young Justice season? I recently finished the finale. Didn't love it, to be honest. I hate to sound too negative in this email, but I'm not going to just lie, you know? For me, Young Justice was at its absolute strongest in the first season when it truly centered around a core team and we stuck with them the entire season. The show has since pivoted into doing this anthology thing where it spotlights dozens of characters this season, which really doesn't work for me. It's too many characters for me to care about. It feels like whenever I start getting interested and invested, the scene gets yanked away from me because now it's time to go check in with the five other groups of people before returning to the ones I really care about. The anthology format works great for a show like The Clone Wars, but Young Justice is much better as an observed, observed, much better observed, pardon me, as a narrative revolving around a small core group of characters with the rest of the DC Universe as background players, not the other way around. There are so many characters that they have that they have to have a lot of off-screen development. There are always these annoying time jumps where a bunch of things happen off-screen and just get explained in an exposition-heavy way, which I don't like because then I'm thinking, wait, did this actually happen earlier in the show and I'm forgetting it, or is it just more exposition? Alas, those are my thoughts. Sorry for the negative skewing email this time around. I'm positive that Saturday's email will be filled with much more positivity as I discuss Obi-Wan Kenobi and Ms. Marvel, two shows that are killing it, in my opinion. All the best. Alex, yeah, and by then, hopefully, Alex, I, I look to be caught up on all of that because I'm still not at this point. It's crazy. I'm still very much in the bubble and in the dark on both of those shows, Obi-Wan, Kenobi, and Ms. Marvel. Of course, all the best to you, Alex. 
I will tell you that I respectfully disagree with your entire stance on Young Justice. I really like the anthology style that they tell, right? And I, I hear what you're saying, and I feel like a lot of people, I feel like more people agree with you than not, right? But I also think that part of what makes Young Justice such a niche property, and I've said this before about the show, is that it does not hold your hand. If you were somebody that is not initiated into the world of DC Comics and its characters, this show is not going, this is not the show that you watch to explain things, right? I would never recommend Young Justice to a member of the general audience, ever. Like, even somebody that has watched the the Flash and, like, the Arrowverse slash DCCW stuff, even somebody that is well-versed in that, I still wouldn't recommend Young Justice. I feel like in order for you to really watch... For me to recommend Young Justice to you, I feel like a prerequisite is either you're a fan of the comics or you've watched a good amount of the DC animated universe already that you have a basis in what a lot of these characters already are so that you have an idea of at least most of who you're dealing with when other characters get introduced. It's not a general audience show at all. And and they've they've admitted this. Greg Wiseman and, and the creators and the fans, they've, they've kind of like leaned into it. The fact that this is a niche show for DC Comics fans. And that's why like the anthology idea really works for me because I like seeing the breadth of the world. To me, Young Justice is like Clone Wars because the DC Comics world is that big and there are that many characters. It, it even like even from a business standpoint, Alex, it goes into my explanation, my, my reasoning for why DC Studios needs to exist as its own content vertical. Young Justice as a show is pure evidence, like perfect evidence as to why that is the case. The DC Comics world is entirely too big to simply be one division in a studio. So I hear what you're saying about how you only want to focus on one group, but I like the anthology of focusing on different groups. I like seeing how the entirety of the DC universe works. Because for me, like, you know, say I, I you know, maybe one of the characters they deal with, like whatever, whatever team they decide to deal with, say I'm not really digging it. You know, maybe it's a case where I don't necessarily wish to focus on this particular group. Well, with an anthology show, I know that, well, we're going to focus on them for these couple of episodes, but then we might go to a new group. I like that. I really do. Now, I'm I'm behind on Young Justice on, on Phantoms. I know the season finale just recently was posted, and at some point I've got to get caught up on it because Scott and I have to talk talk about it on DC TV Squadcast over at Squadcast Media, which I, I haven't posted an episode of that in a long while, largely because of the, the Superman and Lois scheduling ridiculousness, but also because we were waiting until the second half of Young Justice was over before we talked about it. So the next episode of the show is probably going to be that, and I'll probably try and, and, and get uh, you know binge watch that and get caught up on that pretty soon so Scott and I can talk about it there. But no, I I will tell you that the, the anthology style, I absolutely do enjoy it. I like the different arcs. And I, I like going in different directions for a couple of episodes because I, I'm not one that I, I feel like the world is so big and the way that they have it structured in this show, I think it lends better to an anthology style because I like seeing all the different groups happening at the same time. And I like, you know, whenever they do intertwine or whenever there is a connection, I don't need just one group. I feel like we get enough of just one group with the live action stuff, right? Like I can vote the Flash is one group, you know, or like the Superman and Lois is one group or Doom Patrol is one group, whatever it is, you know, Peacemaker is one group. All right, cool. But there's always that question in the back of one's mind at some point when you're watching these other shows that are focusing on one group, you know, you watch the Flash is like, hey, what's what's Kara doing? right over in National, National City. What's going on with Supergirl? What's Oliver doing, you know, back in the day when Arrow was still around? What's what's going on with him? 
what's what's happening in Gotham, right? There's always in the back of your mind whenever the major character in the main group is focusing on a situation that part of me, at least for me, part of me wonders what the other characters in the DC universe are doing at the same time. And Young Justice answers that question. Young Justice says, oh, here's what Artemis was doing while, you know, Ms. Martian was dealing with the whole stuff with Connor and all that. And while this stuff was going on with Satana and, you know, Dr. Fate and everything, right? Like there's, the, the, I, I like the anthology season. I like the anthology setup, the, the the whole structure of it. I really do. And I'd say probably still to this point, my favorite season is Outsiders because of the fourth world stuff. I love the, the fourth world build, the fourth world stuff, you know, all the, the stuff with granny goodness and apocalypse and, 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 you know, new Genesis and all that. And the mother boxes. I loved all of that in young justice outsiders, the third season. So yeah, respectfully agree to disagree on this one, Alex. I, I I love the structure of young justice and I look forward to most of it. And, you know, we'll see how I feel about the back end of phantoms, uh, the fourth season. But, you know, I, I do hope that this show continues because I think that it being such a niche property specifically for fans gives it a very unique perspective and a very unique place among DC television, whether it's animation or otherwise. So yeah, I, I do hope the show continues either way, but we'll see how I feel about the back end of phantoms when i finally get caught up on it but thank you as always alex for the feedback so let's get back into some star trek here for a second we have an update from brendan clare who uh, was one of our other listeners that was you know in the middle of the star trek watch as well he says hey ray long time no talk don't worry i've been listening to every episode since we've chatted last and i must say the show and community you've created keeps getting bigger and better so excited to be hearing all these new fans of different fandoms come together and share their feedback with you you should be very proud of the work you've done well thank you for that brendan i i that, that is that's humbling words <laughs> to be honest with you I greatly appreciate all of the, of the kindness there. Uh, and thank you very much for listening to this show. Thank you to everyone. I always thank everyone for, for listening to this show. And I love the feedback. And, and and seriously, it is exciting to hear a lot of you, you know, go through your watches of these shows that a number of us have already watched and to hear your fresh perspectives on the content that is so near and dear to the rest of us. Uh, but continuing with your email, you said, speaking of sharing feedback, I finally had a chance to start TNG and I'm enjoying it. I have only watched the pilot at the time of this email, but so far it's been an easy and fun watch. This new crew seems a little different compared to the crew I enjoyed in TOS and the Kelvin movies, but I think I'll get used to them. I think the biggest shock was seeing the captain not join the exploration crew on the planet of Deneb 4, but maybe we'll get there eventually. You know that Captain Kirk is my all-time favorite, so we'll see if Captain Picard can carry the torch. Anyway, I'll keep you posted on how the rest of Season 1 goes. I'm afraid to admit that I've heard rumors that season one and two are a little slow and that season three will be more enjoyable. So I hope for my sake, I can power through LOL. Have a great week, Ray. Talk to you soon. Brendan quote, if we're going to be damned, let's be damned for what we really are. Captain John Luke Picard. I like that quote. That's, that's from encounter for a point. Uh, the, the, the part, it depends. I, Brendan, I'm curious. Did you watch it as one piece? I forget. How did, how does Paramount plus have that structured? Is it structured as one piece? Cause when that episode originally aired, it aired as like a two hour long premiere, but since then in syndication, they've broken it up into a part one and part two. So I, it, I, I don't know how Paramount plus has that structured either way. That was, that was, that was either at the half point, half halfway point of the the two hour long episode or it was at the tail end of part one it's a great quote for sure um with respect to uh, your experience with tng I, I will tell you this uh star trek the next generation established a different dynamic in terms of what the captain does on away teams because in in tng they're called away teams not landing parties 
And I will just go ahead and, and, and brace you for this, Brendan. Picard does not join the away teams nearly as much as Kirk. No, it, it's Riker's show. And, and if which I think what has kind of been, been understood among the fans is that Commander Riker, William T. Riker, is far closer to the Captain James T. Kirk dynamic than Jean-Luc Picard is. Jean-Luc Picard is a diplomat. And he is very, his style of captaining the Enterprise is very different. It is. I, I can't say you'll like it. I don't know if Kirk is your favorite. I, I don't know if you will like Picard's style, but I, I just want to prepare you that he is not Captain Kirk. He is very different than Captain Kirk. And his differences are celebrated by a lot of fans, myself included. But yeah, no, I, I do. It's not that he never goes on, on away teams. He does. There are times where the captain does join the away team. And there are definitely times when there is resistance to him joining the away team because he's the captain. That's just a dynamic that they established in TNG going forward. But, you know, I, just give it a shot and, 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 and see how you feel about that. Like there are, like I said, there's a handful of times where he does join the away team and you'll probably dig those. But it, even when he does join the away team, it's not going to be the same as when Kirk led the, the landing party. It's just a, a very different dynamic they went with for that show. As far as what you've heard about season one and two. Yes, it's true. It is. It's true. Subjectively speaking, of course, it's all subjective. You may very well enjoy seasons one and two. In the event that you don't, I will tell you now, hang in there. Just seriously, hang in there, power through, you know, get 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 through it. I mean, there, there are some gems. There are. There are some gems in the first two seasons. But largely speaking, season three is really where the show like took off and really got going. And, and in my opinion, I think the strongest show, at least my favorite sh- season of the show personally, is season five. I love season five. There's a lot of classic stuff that goes on in season five. But three is strong, four is strong. Like, I think three, four, and five are probably your three strongest seasons of the show. Like, some of the more classic episodes of TNG are definitely in those three seasons. You know, and that's nothing against season six or seven. And it's it's not really anything against season one or two. Because, again, like I said, there are some gems in season one and two. But as a whole, I would say they are the weaker seasons for sure. I'm really curious to see how you feel about a particular change with respect to casting in season two. You can't miss it. It's going to be very noticeable. You will probably write an email about it and we'll talk about it. We'll get into it. And, and it's, it's okay. I, we will guide you, Brendan. It's, it's, it's all good. Uh, so, you know, live long and prosper and, you know, Godspeed and all that through your journey. Uh, through the next generation, I, I hope that you enjoy. I hope that you enjoy the show more than you don't enjoy it. It doesn't seem like you found anything that you have not enjoyed yet, but it is all subjective. We will we, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Should that happen? But thank you very much for the email, Brendan. Thank you for all the kind words, as of course, and and your feedback as always. Greatly appreciated, along with everyone else. All right, our next email comes from Anthony Dorsey, who is Crimson Cowl AJD on Twitter. Uh, this is, he warned me this was a bit of a longer one, but it's okay. He's got some good stuff to talk about here. He said, hey, Ray, I don't know if we've talked about this, but I wanted to say congrats on the new job. I also just landed a new job, and this is my first full-time job doing something I like, video editing. So I've been busy myself, hence my falling way behind on podcast listening. So I think it's fair to say you can expect my feedback later than it used to be. Thank you for the kind words, Anthony. Uh, it's not a problem. Like I, I mentioned this before, that when it comes to the topics that we talk about on this show and in our circles, usually most of them are evergreen. So I wouldn't worry about timing with respect to when your feedback comes in. 
Uh, so he says, uh, in any case, here's some feedback for the episode I'm currently listening to, episode 117, which contained my last feedback. To start off, I wanted to just paste in the thread from that other episode that was lost on the shuffle of replies. I'm ignoring the X-Men part, as I don't remember what I was even commenting on there anymore, LOL. Uh, but here, the, the pasted part that he has here, he says, Off the video game talk about Mass Effect, I'd like to recommend one of my favorite series, Life is Strange. It's an anthology with each entry focusing on a different character and usually involving a young person with superpowers dealing with realistic scenarios. The first entry involves a girl who gains time travel ability in order to save someone from death and has a bunch of references to other time travel media, but takes its own twist on it as it's also a coming-of-age story. The series has many emotional highs and lows with great voice acting and storyline. The dialogue can be iffy at times, but improves in subsequent entries. My favorite was Life is Strange 2, which was more serious and involved two Mexican-American brothers taking a journey to Mexico after a tragedy, and it hits on many topical things that that sort of story should have in 2018. Also, each game should only take about 10 to 18 hours max per game to complete, and the series really dived into choice with many dialogue trees and multiple endings that are mostly all very different than Mass Effect's different colored expositions, or different colored explosions, rather, is what you wrote. If I've intrigued you, let me know and I can give you some more info. I think I've heard a little bit about Life is Strange. I, I, I haven't really like gone in depth in terms of what it is. But yeah, I, you know what? The, the, the video game stuff, man, I am so behind on all the video games stuff. Like I, I have that Xbox uh, Series X that I bought like a year ago. And I literally the last game I played on it was Mass Effect Legendary Edition. And that was last year. Like I am so behind. There's so many games that I need to play. And that that's a totally separate issue with the list. But yeah, I mean, I, I'd, I'd be curious. You know, I could probably uh, dig into it and, and poke around about Life is Strange. I didn't know they made a sequel. So that's that's very interesting. Uh, but continuing on the video game talk, you said, in addition to that recommendation, I just finished the recent Guardians of the Galaxy game, and I'd also recommend that. It has a lot of Mass Effect similarities with what the companions and whatnot. It's a great combination of the movie and comic versions of the characters with the humor done much better, in my opinion, than in the movies, and it almost never undercuts the excellent serious moments. I'm currently reading the Dan Abnett Guardians of the Galaxy, and it seems to me they pulled some plot elements and characteristics from that run and mixed it with the movie's character dynamics and backstories. Um, okay. I haven't dug into the Marvel games, but that's intriguing. Uh, fair enough. And if you think that it's better than the, you know, like similarities to Mass Effect, that, that automatically gets my attention. But if you think it's better than the movies in terms of like the, the, the humor being done much better. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm all about that. That's cool. Getting into the TV aspect, you said you mentioned you haven't watched The Bad Batch. I think the show is basically a sequel to The Clone Wars, but also felt a lot like Rebel Season 1, so I'm, of course, very interested in where it goes. But I don't like it as much as some of the other shows as of yet. Definitely hoping for great things from it going forward based on the track record of most of the other shows. Yeah, I've seen the pilot of The Bad Batch. I just haven't watched the rest of Season 1. I will watch it, though. I will get caught up on it because in, in time for Season 2, definitely. Especially now that I'm in the midst of co-workers who have watched all of it and really want to talk to me about it. So that that's a motivation for me to get through the list as well. Uh, continuing, you say, in my last feedback, I recommended the canon Thrawn trilogy, so let me clarify the differences within the Thrawn books. The old trilogy, which many hype up from the old EU, was Heir to the Empire, Dark Force Rising, and The Last Command. I've read the first two of those, and it's basically a sort of episode 789 with the OT crew versus Thrawn as the big bad, and it was very good, but also very night canon. 
Uh, there might be more EU Throne books, but you'll have to ask bigger EU fans like Scott or Stu for more info there. Yeah, the ones that you just named there, Anthony, those are the ones that I'm aware of. Those are the ones that I'm familiar with. Heir to the Empire, Dark Force Rising, Last Command. Timothy Zahn wrote all of those, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, that's the, the trilogy. That's the Thrawn stuff that I personally have been aware of all these years that friends of mine have told me about. But you say that there might be, or you say that the canon trilogy I mentioned Thrawn, Thrawn Alliances, Thrawn Treason follows him as the lead character where he's much less of a villain than he was in those other books or even as much as he was in Rebels. I love how those books gave a ton of nuance to his character and his motivations. Those books are very tied into Rebels. Some have criticized it as being too tied in as well as some connections to Clone Wars and Rogue One, among other canon references. These books show how he joined the Empire and fills in every gap there was with his character from Rebels. Lastly, there's even more an even more recent trilogy, let's simply call the Thrawn Ascendancy Trilogy, which builds off of that other trilogy to show him and his people of the Chiss Ascendancy before his joining the Empire. While these books are great, I don't think they'd add much to watching Ahsoka, though to be fair, I'm still in the middle of the third book, as I only connect to the other canon trilogy. I hope you enjoyed this explanation as you asked for it, and enjoy the fact that my computer autocorrected Thrawn to Throne every single time. Yes, I, I, I saw that. Uh, you, you were you were fighting that a little bit here in the email. Yeah, damn autocorrect. Um, thank you for the, the the breakdown of that. That is very comprehensive. I can't promise I'll read them, but at least they're on the radar, and I have a better idea of exactly what they are and how they tie in. So I do appreciate that, Anthony. Yes, for sure. Continuing on, uh, sticking with Star Wars here for a bit, you said, I think it's great that apparently Rachel went towards my suggestion of watching the Clone Wars in between two and three and even took it a step further and watched the 2D show. I just wanted to say that it needs to be noted that the miniseries is not canon, so it will not line up with where the 3D show goes in terms of its characters and how it eventually ties in with Revenge of the Sith like the 2D show does at the end. Just had to mention so there isn't confusion later. Yes, that's a good point, Rachel. If you're listening, bear that in mind. What you watched in that miniseries is not going to line up with the rest of it. it it doesn't fit that way the the 3d series is the canonical lineup that is where that is what will connect you between attack of the clones and revenge of the sith for sure no doubt about that definitely glad to clarify that uh, in your, your last paragraph here, you said, finally, only because this is in reply to episode 117, I wanted to give an update on the Halo show. If you don't get the reference, Master Chief's name is John 117. Actually, I did know that. <laughs> I was aware of that, not just from Shonda, uh, my other half, who loves Halo, but also from my time working at GameStop, I was aware of that. Uh, but he says, or you said, uh, Anthony, that anyways, the show disappointed me a lot. It had its moments, but I didn't find it to have the spirit of the universe I love very much at all. It often had references to the canon timeline. Yeah, yeah, I probably said canon ten times in this email. But that was the extent to the respect it paid to the universe. For a show that had a clean slate without having to be tied to canon, I was pretty bummed that this is where they took the story and characters. I cannot, as a fan of Halo, recommend this show. But if you do still watch it, I'd be very interested in your thoughts as someone who has only played the games a little bit as opposed to me. Someone who's played all the games many times and read many books and comics from the Halo universe as it is part of my trinity of fandoms up there with Star Wars and DC. Uh, thank you for the email, Anthony, uh, and however long it was, it's, it's all good. The feedback is always greatly appreciated. I will tell you that Halo is on my list. It's not necessarily like a front burner, but Shonda has said that she's very interested to know what I feel about the show. And she is 
much more of a Halo fan. She's closer to you. I don't think she's read the books, but she's certainly played the games, you know, far more than I have and is definitely more connected emotionally to that franchise than I am. And she has expressed interest in what my thoughts on it are. So I, I will give it a watch. I will. I, I, I need to clear a lot of other stuff off my list before I dive into that. But it is on Paramount Plus, which is, you know, I mentioned before, you know, a couple of episodes ago. I don't know if you've gotten to it yet, but I, it was asked to me, like, what are my, like, definitive, you know, what are my, you know, streaming services that I can't do without at this point in time. And I picked HBO Max and Paramount Plus. And I, I picked Paramount Plus because of Star Trek. But, you know, Halo is a fringe benefit of that. It's like, okay, well, I, I need my Star Trek, but Halo happens to be there as well. And every time I finish a last episode of the Star Trek show before a new one comes out, it always keeps suggesting Halo for me to watch episode one. And yeah, I, I will watch it at some point. And I will probably have a very different perspective of it than you and, and probably even Shonda as well, because I've played a smattering of the games, man. I don't have the connection. I certainly haven't read the books. Certainly, Halo is not like up there on my list of franchises that I like am really big on, especially since it's a first person shooter and I really don't do well with first person shooters at all. It's not my favorite type of shooter to play whatsoever. I prefer third person myself, but yeah. I'll dig into it, and at some point I will offer my thoughts on it once I get more of the list whittled down. But thank you, as always, for the feedback uh, as well, Anthony. All right, one more email before we get to the Twitter feedback. This is from our good buddy, Keltrick Pickens. He's always got some some big, heavy-hitting, ball-busting topics, and I'm sure they'll be, they'll be no different here. Uh, he says, hey, Ray. Hope all is well. Hope you're beating the heat and surviving with the inflation of gas and food. Yeah, I was talking about that earlier. He says, I went to the store this past weekend, $16 for a family pack size of chicken breast. Absolutely ridiculous. Wow, that's cheap, man. Where did you, where'd you get those at? Um, and it's $100 plus for me to fill up my gas tank. I'm about to say F it and put water in that damn thing next. LOL. <laughs> yeah, I did. I hear you, man. We're all feeling it. Seriously, we, we are all feeling it. It, it sucks. It's, it's, it's awful right now. <laughs> In the United States, there's no doubt about that. Uh, anyways, on to the questions, he says. Question one. Disney Plus Day is September 8th, 2022, the same weekend going right into D23, which is September 9th through September 11th, 2022. It's guaranteed we will get updates on previously announced Marvel, Star Wars, and Pixar movies and TV shows. But I'm willing to bet a lot of the upcoming MCU films that have been dated already over the next few years will finally be unveiled. A friend of mine who is a massive DC fan asked me just how badly will the DC fan base react. I'm sure Kevin will announce the next few years of MCU films, and if the head of DC films has not been appointed by that time, I already know the doom and gloom talk is coming. I'm sure you expect it as well, Ray, not just from the toxics, but from regular fans who are questioning where everything is going. What's your take on this and how badly will DC fans react? They're, they're going to react badly either way. And I'll be honest with you, I, I I don't know that I would say that I expect it, but given we're talking September 8th, I think DC will have a chief. I think DC will have a we, – we will have a new DC boss by then. I do. I, I think that will be the case. I, I, I think that, you know, we're, we're, what, it's June 15th now you know, as of today. So that's what, July, August, September. So that's two months, you know, two and a half months or so before we get to that Disney Plus day. I, I think DC will have a chief by then. I do. I don't know what they're going to be ready to announce. I don't know what their plans are going to be, but I will tell you that whatever it is, it's not going to like it, it won't prevent DC fans from reacting badly to whatever is announced at Disney Plus Day. It won't because somebody is going to be unhappy with whatever the new DC Chiefs plan is 
whoever it is. First, they're going to be unhappy about whoever the chief is because it's not going to be who they want. Even if it ends up being somebody like Jim Lee, they're going to be people that are not going to like Jim. What, what Jim Lee decides to do and they're not going to think they're going to have issues and detractions because, again, a lot of these toxics, a lot of these people in the fan base, Keltrick, want a reason to be miserable and will pick apart anything to maintain being miserable no matter what. And, and and on top of that, you're gonna have people that no matter what DC's plan is, like whoever the new DC chief is, whoever the new head of you know, hopefully DC Studios is, they could announce a plan that is more ambitious and more exciting than what the next however many years of the MCU is on a subjective level. And unless it involves any of Zack Snyder's sequels, they're going to treat it as a bad plan and they're going to they're going to re- they're going to react horribly to it. And it's going to be all manner of toxicity. And we're going to see the hashtag weaponized again, you know, restore the Snyderverse. And it, it nothing is going to stop the toxicity, Keltrick, like that. It, it's, it's just not going to end, unfortunately. So it is our job to, you know, do our best to ignore it and not acknowledge it and, you know, go forward with whatever happens. I mean, we know what Marvel Studios is. We know what they've done. You know, Feige already prefaced a month or so ago, we talked about how they had that summit where they were plotting out the next 10 years of Marvel Cinematic Universe content. So we know that they have a structure. They've been at it for 14 plus years consistently. And DC, you know, it's not that they're necessarily like starting over, but they're getting a new boss and they've had to deal with like two mergers in the last four years at this point. You know, it's actually less time than that. Two mergers in the last two or three years, really. So there is a, you know, it, it's like course correction, reorganization, not course correction, reorganization is happening within the DC entertainment brand itself. And so that's going to lend itself to a very different plan than, you know, whatever Marvel has got cooking, right? So no matter what happens, you know, whether there's a DC chief announced or not, the fans are going to react badly. And you know what, we're just going to have to brace for it and, you know, deal with it accordingly. And, you know, you know, we, we should be resolute in our own belief in terms of where we think the franchise franchises headed and how we subjectively feel about the future of it that that's that's all i can really say about that the doom and gloomers are never going to go away man especially on social media so just let them stew and you know let them be closed-minded and let them freak out and the rest of us rational fans which is still the majority of the fan base you know we'll proceed as we proceed you know as rationally as we can you know so that was your first question second question you say, I know I'm on an island with wanting a full-blown DCEU reboot. When I look around, it seems people are more attached to actors and having a well-oiled and coherent universe, but to each their own. Being that you were against the idea, which is cool, it's all subjective, your own perspective aside, what would be some positives you could think of if they did a full-blown reboot? Thanks, and have a great weekend. Well, first of all, Keltrick, I will say that I don't think that your island is as small as you might think. I just got into a discussion the other day with a mutual uh, Pisces 27, Josh, uh he he and i've been mutuals for a number of years like in these circles and i think we got to a point the other day where we fundamentally disagree on the the, the structure of the dceu as current first of all he's 100 convinced that batfleck is being officially replaced by keaton in the dceu and i'm still saying can we wait to watch the flash before we say that you know and i'm a lot of people, and maybe you're part of this Keltrick, like you might be like, well, come on, Ray, the writing is on the wall. Look at what the fact that he's in the Flash, the fact that he's in the Cape and Cowl, the fact that he's in Batgirl and the rumors that he might be in Aquaman of the Lost Kingdom. Clearly, that's what they're doing. Well, you know what? I need it to be official. I need to see exactly what their plan is. And we don't know how much their plan could potentially be changing because we were a year away from the Flash releasing and 
DC Entertainment's going to have a new boss at some point, and even with it not having a new boss yet, it has a new overall boss in, in David Zaslav, and changes for the future of this franchise are happening as we speak, and we don't know what all of them are yet, so I would wait to see exactly what those changes are before, like, dropping trowel on it, you know, b- before saying, oh, it's clearly this. But he made a comment, uh, Pisces 27 did, about how the foundation that Snyder laid has been completely destroyed. And I absolutely disagree with that because in current DCEU form, like when people say, and this is how I know Josh is younger, like Pisces 27, he's younger. A lot of people on Twitter are younger. And I guess, man, as I get older, I just, I one, I don't feel like, you know, getting all up in arms and disgusted about this shit anymore. There's certain things that I get disgusted by, like the whole, the, 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 the racism and the bigotry and the abuse that happened on the justice league set. That's a completely different thing to, get disgusted by but as far as creative choices are concerned there's no reason for me to feel sickened over what happened with respect to the the Snyderverse plan you know going forward at most I would say that I'm disappointed you know if the Justice League sequels from Zack Snyder don't happen but I'm still open to seeing what the future of the DCEU is going to be because there are other creatives not named Zack Snyder that absolutely have a right to tell their stories and they also have a right to use the characters that he built the foundation with whether it's Jason Momoa's Aquaman or Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman or yes Ezra Miller's Flash you know like whoever those are like these other filmmakers can you know they have the right to tell the stories you know to to flesh out that universe if Warner Brothers wants to continue it so as long as those actors remain and as long as anybody connected to them like Jared Leto's Joker or Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn as long as they're still around that foundation still exists it's okay if you don't like the direction that they're going in but to me you can't say the foundation is destroyed it's not the foundation would be destroyed if and when the you know that all of that is gone right if and when those actors are gone if and when the reboot actually occurs and i bring all this up to say that pisces 27 uh, josh agrees with you Keltrick. he says that there should be a reboot at this point because he's essentially thrown in the towel as a snyderverse fan and thinks that there's no salvaging anything and he wants to start over he wants to blow it up and hit that reset button and, you know, I, I disagree with them on that, and I will continue to disagree with them on that because I don't want to lose Henry Cavill, p- potentially, if we can hang on to him as Superman. I don't want to lose Momoa as Aquaman. I don't want to lose Godot as Wonder Woman, and I would like to not lose Ezra Miller as The Flash, to be honest with you. I want all that. I want that core Justice League, basically the four Justice League members that we saw in the Peacemaker season finale. I want that core to continue. However, to answer your question, if... I could think of positives out of a reboot. Well, quite honestly, the the biggest positive, if they were to do a flat out reboot is they really could start from a place, you know, like a, a fresh place in terms of rebuilding and, and, you know, going more in the, the MCU traditionalist setting, which that's another reason why I'm against the reboot Keltrick is because I'm personally convinced that if a DCEU reboot occurs, it's just going to be MCU 2.0. I am. I am convinced of that. And maybe maybe more creative freedom, maybe the sandbox won't be quite as tightly run as Kevin Feige runs it as far as like him being in the editing rooms and everything. But I do think that we're going to see like we would just see a structure, whoever the new DC boss is, they would basically say, okay, let's have a bunch of solos and then a big Justice League team up. And then let's try and find our Infinity Saga, you know, probably centered around the the anti-life equation. And let's do something like that. And it would basically be the next MCU. Right. And they and they would tie in the 
the, the, the whatever's left in the CW or any of the HBO Max shows into that, you know, and, and, and they, they would try to do the multiverse thing, but I feel like that's what would happen with a reboot. And I think that, you know, like you, you made that comment about, you know, it seems people are more attached to actors than having a well-oiled and coherent universe. You know, okay, that's a little snarky, Keltrick, to say, you know, the, the, having a well-oiled and coherent universe, because here's the thing. We can't call the DCEU well-oiled, but the coherence of it is wholly subjective. It is. Because I can look at the 10 films that we have in the DCEU right now, and I can also look at what we've got coming in the future, and I, I see coherency. I can. I see connection. And you might think that it takes a gargantuan amount of headcanon in order to place that coherency there, but it doesn't for me. Like, I, I can see it there. And so I, I don't think that it's a case where, you know, like, that the, and people are allowed to be attached to actors too, Keldrick. I want to say that, right? If somebody is attached to, it's no different than the people who are attached to Christopher Reeve as Superman or to Michael Keaton as Batman, right? People are allowed to be attached to Henry Cavill as Superman or Jason Momoa as Aquaman or Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman, right? They're allowed to do that. So people can feel that way if they wish, you know, and, and, and there's a way to continue this universe going forward. You know, you, you're in a, you're just in a world of like standalone films at the moment. When I feel like the idea that like the phrase well-oiled and coherent universe is so subjective, what it means to you, Keltrick, it could mean something very different to me. It could mean something very different to a lot of other people. For me, I feel like where we're at with all these standalone films, there's a dozen different directions you can go in going forward for the future of the DCEU that doesn't have to reboot or erase everything that came before it. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like we're at that point where there's so much going on with these other characters. You can find a way to connect them if you wish, even though you don't necessarily have to, right? So the reboot idea isn't off the table, Keltrick. I'm just saying that there absolutely is a way to point this thing in a different direction, you know, that if you want to point it in the Snyderverse direction, fine, you know, as far as the JL sequels, or if you want to point it in a different direction, it still uses the Snyderverse foundation, you know, of characters, you can do that too, right? I still feel like a lot of your angst with respect to the Snyderverse stuff is predicated on fan behavior and I I mean this I, I mean this as, as sincerely and, and, and this is only me looking out for you man you gotta let that shit go you really do. I know you are young blood, and a lot of times you get on Twitter and you see all the caterwauling and you see all the anger and it probably b bothers the hell out of you. You got to let that shit go. You do. And I know even for me at 39, it's tough for me to let it go a lot of times, but I can't allow that to color my perspective of what I think subjectively the franchise should do or what I want to see it do from my own perspective. I, I, I cannot allow fan perspective to affect what I would like to see in terms of the vision of the franchise. I feel like you do that a little too much. I really do. And again, I say that sincerely as someone that cares about you as a fan and doesn't want to see you get bogged down so much in how fans are reacting to these decisions, right? Like just, just going back to your first question, and we should not give less than... We we should give less than two shits about how badly DC fans are going to react to Disney Plus Day. That's tribalism in itself. I'm going to look at Disney Plus Day and I'm going to go, oh, OK, cool. Uh, excited to see what Marvel's got going on down the road. I'm not going to compare it to DC. I'm not going to get on all the snarky stuff. I'm not going to be one of those people that's going to be like, so-and-so is getting a movie and we still don't have a Superman, another Superman solo yet. I'm not going to be one of those people because I, I just I, I like being happy, Keltrick. I do. I like being happy and I want to see you like being happy as well. I, I encourage you and others listening to this show to be happier. 
and to not let shitty fan behavior bog you down or affect what you think a franchise should do in terms of its direction. If DC were to reboot the DCEU as a whole, I think that just, you know, the, 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 positive would be the connection and more of the 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 mcu-like structure that you know the general audience the episodic structure that the general audience would buy into i think that would probably be the biggest positive that i could think of as far as starting fresh with a clean slate and they'd probably get better critical acclaim as well if i had to venture guess although i do envision a number of critics saying well you know it had more all of a sudden that's when they would be like well you know the snyder films had more heart yeah you assholes were completely trashing it a couple of years ago and now you know as soon as DC decides to do exactly what you've been calling for them to do, you know, to, to chase Feige like it's some kind of damn race, then th- that's when they're going to flip the script. I, I feel like there's no pleasing everyone. There's no pleasing everyone with anything, but there, it, it's almost an increased tenfold with DC because of how long they've been at the, the, the comic book movie game and like how, how long they've been doing these movies. There's so much expectations, generationally speaking, on all these characters. You're never going to please everyone, which is another reason why. I feel like it's important to let the fan behavior go, man. And and, and like I said, I, I speak as someone that I know the difficulty in being able to let it go. I see the idiots on Twitter and there are definitely times when I comment on it, but you know what? I don't let it do. I don't let it affect my perception subjectively of what I think the franchise should do or what I would like them to do. I will never allow fan behavior to push me into the idea of, you know what? Just reboot the thing because I'm tired of people bitching. No, people can cry and whine and scream into the void on social media all they like, regardless of what the franchise does. I couldn't care less about that. I just want the franchise to do what it's going to do and be successful so that I can enjoy the content that they're going to give us. So that's where I feel about that. Uh, but thank you, as always, Keltrick, for your feedback. I always enjoy responding to to your feedback because you 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 ask the hard hitting ones, you know, the, the 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 not mincing words questions, and I I actually do greatly appreciate that. We'll 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 get through it, man. The fan stuff will be just fine. We'll we'll be all right. All right, let's close things out for this Wednesday edition of the Hexagon and this Wednesday edition of the Flightcast with. The feedback thread from Edward of Many Fandoms. This was a Monday morning listen. He said, uh, he said the talk too much content about too much content uh, from episode 119. He says, I don't know how people time manage for all of it, but I have to plan out with my wife what we will watch each night on the weekend so we don't fall behind on stuff. I haven't even watched Moon Knight, even though it looked interesting to me because I just don't have time. Same with video games. I'm going to get an Xbox Series X at some point. Even though there are games on the PS5 I want to play, I just don't have time. And I have Xbox One, so everything will transfer over. And the Bethesda Obsidian exclusives on Xbox just means I will probably not play any of the Marvel games on PlayStation or other exclusives like Horizon Zero, though I really want to. There's just so much less time as an adult than as a college student or younger. It sucks. And having children, which I don't have yet, means even less time. To quote the Friends theme song, so no one told you life was going to be this way. Clap, 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 clap. I'm not a Friends fan, but I'm, that is true, Edward. That's very true indeed. Uh, he goes on, he says, I luckily have one advantage over most in that I really only need about six hours of sleep each night to be fully functional the next day for about 17 hours. So that gives me extra time to either get stuff done or catch up on entertainment. Um, okay. And, uh, you know what? And, and thank you, Edward. I appreciate the understanding, you know, as far as like what I was talking about in terms of balancing schedules. Yeah, it, it does suck as an adult, especially, you know, if, if you're working a nine to five or, you know, whatever type of eight hour job. Yeah, it is a balance, you know, and I, I at least, you know, I, 
I watched Moon Knight, but part of me wonders, was I only able to watch Moon Knight because I was still out of work at the time? Like, I don't know. Like, it's because I'm trying to balance it with Obi-Wan and with Strange New Worlds, and I'll, I'll, I'll get it figured out at some point. But yeah, I, I hear you in terms of the scheduling complications, man. Yeah, I, thank you for the, the, the shared understanding of the grief that we go through in terms of trying to watch all this stuff. Continuing on, he says, on Stranger Things, this isn't the final season. They said season five would be the final season. Okay, thank you for that clarification. Cool. So even if I can't necessarily get to up to season four, like in preparation for the second half of it, I still know that there's another season coming. So there's still an active reason for me to watch that show. Appreciate that, Edward. Thank you. Uh, He says on Star Wars Clone Wars reception when it aired, I saw so much hate online from prequel haters. I loved it, but dropped off around season three, had college stuff, a new girlfriend, now wife at the time, and later finished it years later, right before Rebels first aired, which I saw the same hate for that show as well. Curious little world. Yeah, you know, uh, Edward, it really does seem like with Star Wars, there's like a cycle of hate. And it's Star Trek, too, because, you know, we can go back and find all the old newspaper articles of the people that were angry about the TNG cast and how they were absolutely desecrating the, you know, the, the history and the, the canon, if you will, of the original series. But it's a cycle of hatred where, like, every time something new happens in one of these fandoms, you know, there's always the, the, the angry crowd that's like, oh, you know, defy on this, right? There's always that... You know, history is always doomed to repeat itself with these fandoms, unfortunately. So that does not surprise me at all that that was the case with either Clone Wars or Rebels, Edward. Uh, Continuing, you said, Alex and Flightcast, that specific duplicate Earth in TOS Miri, in the novel, Shatner himself revisited it in his novel, Star Trek Preserver. Yes, I've never read it, but I have heard of it, Edward. That is true. Definitely. So, Alex, if you want to read that at some point, uh, that is at your discretion. Definitely so. Uh, he says, uh, next piece of his thread, he says, follow up on my Star Wars comment from the last episode. It was something about the editing in episode four that just threw me off. Yeah, I and I still haven't watched it. I'm still so behind. Oh, it's 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 terrible. I'm trying to get this figured out. I, I, I got to binge through and, and, and try and get caught up on it here, like in the next couple of days for sure. But I, I'll pay attention to that and see uh, how I feel about it for sure. Uh, but here. Uh, He says, two feedbacks. The first, you were thrown into a free guy slash Wreck-It Ralph style world. What would be your weapon of choice? A phaser, which one and not rifle? A blaster, Star Wars, Halo Energy Sword, a blaster, BSG original, a lightsaber, Mjolnir slash Stormbreaker, or something else? Um, probably lightsaber. Yeah, probably lightsaber, more than likely. However, you know what? If if something else is an option, then I get I get to pick this. I get to say the glaive from Crawl. That would be my weapon of choice. And if you have not seen that movie, go ahead and Google it, check it and check it out at your discretion, Edward, if you wish, or just look up the glaive. I was like so excited when I saw it in uh, Ready Player One a couple years ago. It was a, one of the many Easter eggs, one of the many nerdy Easter eggs that they put into that movie. I love Crawl. You know, people would call it a guilty pleasure. I would call it a guilty pleasure if I still believed in guilty pleasures, but I do not feel guilty enjoying that movie. That is my weapon of choice. The glaive from the movie Crawl. Totally look it up. It's awesome. It's badass. It's great. That's my weapon of choice. If I'm in a free guy, Wreck-It Ralph Ralph style world. I've seen Wreck-It Ralph. I've not seen free guy. I need to watch free guy still. Um, Continuing, you said, with what would be your shield? Uh, Caps? Shield, Hyrule, Legend of Zelda, Halo, Jackal Shield, or something else. I would go TNG era phaser mixed with Captain Shield, painted Captain Britain style. You know what? Um, Cap Shield. Yes, I would have a glaive with Cap Shield. Yes, absolutely. That would, because I'd, 
I love how the shield comes back to him. I love the, the, the boomerang nature of the shield for sure. So yeah, that, that would be my choice of shield. And he says, and the second feedback continuing from the first, are you going to be an explorer, fighter, objective solver, platformer, twitching that stuff or game breaker, breaking the game's physics, probably explorer more than likely if I had to venture a guess. Yeah. I, I like being the explorer and, you know, having, you know, I like being the character that people underestimate. And then like, you know, when the defensive capabilities show up, I am more than capable than they thought I was. I absolutely would like that idea. So yeah, I would pick explorer as far as that goes for sure. This is really telling me that I need to watch free guy <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, but uh, concluding it, he says, have a good week. P.S. I don't have anything about I don't have anything about Cavill and Black Adam or fighting him. I'm just projecting confidence and hoping it will happen. Oh, OK, he, he doesn't know anything about that. Yeah, I I hope so, man. I'm I'm right there with you. Like, I, I, I really hope that that is the case. And I, I would I would love to. I, I wish I could project confidence as strongly as you are with respect to that. And I you know, I'm cross got everything crossed fingers and toes on that one for sure. Really hope that that happens. But as always, Edward, thank you for the feedback thread. Thank you so much to everyone uh, for your hexagon feedback here uh, for this Wednesday edition of the flight cast. That is going to do it for this particular episode. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for all the kind words. Thank you for being a part of this community and sharing in the discussion that I thoroughly enjoy doing and am and, and continuing to thoroughly enjoy doing every, you know, twice a week for you. Please do not hesitate to let me know what you guys think to bring more topics to the hexagon, you know, more hard hitting stuff, more free loving stuff, you know, the, the, the hypotheticals, all of that stuff. I love all of it. You know where to find me on Twitter at the flight cast. And of course I can be reached by email at Ray at theflightcast.com. All right, take care. Stay safe out there. If you're in the U.S., stay cool and let's try to survive the madness of inflation and all those other bullshit we got to deal with right now. And I will see all of you on Saturday. Take it easy. Take it easy.